We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. everyone welcome to another episode of red and buried podcast i'm sarah i'm frankie and today we have the incredible karen slaughter with us hi karen hello how are you guys we're good thank you so much for joining us today especially with the time difference and um i'm guessing you're quite busy at the moment Yes, I'm very busy. Actually, there's I don't think there's a huge time difference. I'm in London right now. Oh, are you? Okay. Yes. I just assumed you were at home. Now, nope. Karen's in the UK, right? Because you are heavily working. We're going to talk about it in a second, the release of your new book and yeah, back-to-back meetings and all sorts of fun stuff, I imagine, for you at the moment. Yes, but nothing as important as this, obviously. <laughs> That's very kind and very generous. Well, speaking of very kind and very generous, I'd like to get into the little bio we have about you. Not that anybody listening doesn't know who you are, because you're something of a, a legend and, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest names in crime fiction. But let's go to the bio and uh, talk about that a bit more. So with more than 40 million copies sold across the globe, Karen Slaughter is one of the world's most popular storytellers. She's the author of over 20 but Sunday Times bestselling novels, including Edgar nominated Cop Town and standalone novels The Good Daughter and Pretty Girls. Her internationally best-selling book, Pieces of Her, debuted at number one on Netflix worldwide as an original series last year. Adapted from her best-selling thriller series, Will Trent, is now on television and a streaming sensation on Disney+, Plus, which I have been powering through and thoroughly enjoying, by the way, uh, with further projects currently in development for film and television. Her new book, After That Night, is the latest in the Will Trent series. Fifteen years ago, Sarah Linton's life changed forever when a celebratory evening ended in a violent attack that tore her world apart. Since then, Sarah has remade her life. A successful doctor engaged to a man she loves, she's finally managed to leave the past behind her. Until one evening, on call in the ER, everything changes. Sarah battles to save a broken young woman who's been brutally attacked. But as the investigation progresses, led by special agent for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, Will Trent... It becomes clear that Danny Cooper's assault is uncannily linked to Sarah's, and it seems the past isn't going to stay buried forever. Outside of writing, Karen is the founder of the Save the Libraries Project, a non-profit organization established to support libraries. A native of Georgia, she currently lives in Atlanta and enjoys adorable animals and funny memes. She's also incredibly kind and generous enough with her time to slum it with the likes of us <laughs> on this podcast. So there's your bio. <laughs> Well, it, it is a bit, I'm at that point in my career where they say over 20 rather than the actual number. It's sort of like <laughs> when you're a kid, you're like, I'm seven, I'm eight. And then, you know, past your 20s, you don't give the actual number. We could say, well, it, you know how they say with children, they say in months, like she's 18 months or whatever. Oh, yeah. you start doing it that way. It sounds even more impressive. Yeah. Or just like a really damn long time. <laughs> I mean, I'm at the point where I can't even remember how old I am half the time anymore. I'm just like, yeah, yes. late, late 30s. <laughs> yes, yes. I have to recall the math myself. <laughs> <laughs> so we both read The Amazing After the Night and yes. absolutely loved it. I was so excited that there was a new Will Trent book out because, I mean, I love him. I suspect everyone yes. who reads them does love him. I Was it released yesterday in the UK? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, everything I've seen online has been wildly positive, unsurprisingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you think, Frankie? 
Absolutely loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Glowing reviews everywhere. Obviously, I did a little uh, in, in you know, doing our research, did a bit of trawling of like Goodreads and things like that. And Goodreads notoriously uh, can be quite a uh, stressful place to visit, I would imagine, with a new book's release, but glowingly positive. And as you say, great to have Will Trent back uh, for another book. And Will Trent is definitely having a real moment right now with his series coming out, obviously, um, already incredibly popular over in the US and now on Disney Plus in the UK. So powering through. So this was an interesting turn for Will Trent's life, isn't it? Because he's he's settling down and, and I don't want to spoil too much for people because they have to go and read it and it's fantastic. But what led to this point in Will's Trent's journey for you? You know, it really was all about how relationships can change people for the better or for the worst. And Will was with a very horrible, toxic person for many years. And she brought a level of stress to his life. It was very unhealthy. And meeting Sarah for Will was just this release of so much stress. And he's a guy who grew up without a family. You know, he was raised in a children's home. He doesn't really like a lot of change. He likes to keep his life pretty settled. And, you know, Sarah is a calming factor for him. And I love that because it's something I look for in my own life. You know, very consistent, steady people. That's my jam. Uh, and, and Will gets that from Sarah. And it, and it helps him in so many other areas of his life. It helps him communicating with the people he works with, like his partner and his boss. And, you know, he's kind of created this family for himself outside of what a traditional family might be. Yeah. What I really love about Will and Sarah's relationship is it's so healthy. There were quite a few opportunities where... Now, quite often you'll read a book and the characters make slightly questionable choices where they don't tell their partners that they're doing something, for example, and it leads yeah. to chaos. And there was there's none of that between them. There was a moment in the book where I don't think this is a spoiler, but if it is, we'll cut it out. Sarah's doing something as part of the job and she's told not to tell Will and she obviously has. And I was just like, oh, thank God, there's nothing worse than screaming at a character to <laughs> act like a grown up. Yes. Yeah. And, but, you know, that's really deliberate on my part because it, in, in two ways. I mean, one is I think it's nice to, to read or write about a healthy relationship. I mean, they have disagreements and things, but, mm. you know, a lot of times when you read books, particularly series books, the tension is very much will they or won't they? And then when they're together, they have to break up. And then when they break up, you put them back together. And it's very, it's just a strange cycle that a lot of characters go through. And I didn't want to do that. And the second thing is, it's a, such a challenge to write about people who are happy together. Yeah. And I love a challenge. Um, <laughs> and it's it's very rare, usually in a romance, there's a reason why the happily ever after is at the end when they get together. Writing about them together is a challenge and, and finding ways of tension that makes them interesting, even though they're not going to break up, you know, and have big fights and things. That's what I enjoy. Yeah. As Sarah was said as well, it, it is actually very refreshing, I think, particularly in crime fiction to read a healthy relationship where couples yeah. are communicating well. It's something that often is used, and dare I say, a bit of a trope where it's, oh, what are they hiding? What's the mystery there? And even as well, it's not just about Will and Sarah's relationship. It's also about Faith's relationship with Will and with Sarah and how they're all, you know, as you say, this family and this unit, and they're all kind of in it together, which is really lovely. And even the fact that you've kind of at the beginning 
got the adorable kind of start of Will and Sarah's relationship and, you know, her, her heart melting and him being all adorable and then, you know, cutting to them established and, you know, engaged and all that kind of thing. So it's, it's really a lovely pleasure to see. Uh, to see how that relationship is developing. While still also, by the way, we're making it sound very cute and very healthy. Still very dark, this book. <laughs> it's not <Yes>. cute. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of darkness here. And Sarah has been through a lot yeah. in her life. And obviously Will has been through a lot in his life as well. And very different, but similar kinds of trauma. Like, How do you go about writing about such traumatic, difficult events for such different characters? Well, you know, you'd be really hard pressed to find someone who hasn't been through some shit. Yeah. And how we respond to that shit can be very character forming. And for Will, you know, if you look at his life statistically, he was more likely to have ended up going uh, into from state care to state care, ending up incarcerated, not having a college education, not having gainful employment. And, you know, we we know from studies that we don't give children who are in care the proper tools to be successful adults. It's more like a holding pattern. And it's not deliberate. It's just the system is overwhelmed. There's no funding there. You know, I'm sure it's the same everywhere where we just, we don't take care of the, the kids who need the most support. And Will has managed to defy those odds. And he's gone to college. He's gainfully employed. He's really this self-made guy. And he didn't realize till much later that he had a lot of help along the way, which I think a lot of self-made people don't realize they've had Mm -hmm. a lot of help along the way. And, you know, I think he's in a really good point in his life, particularly with Sarah. But you have to give him credit. He says one of the the sexiest lines I think I've ever written is when Sarah is very conflicted about what's going on and should she involve other people? Should she stop trying to pick at this scab? And he says... I'm here for you no matter what. And he really means it. And that's that's the crux of their relationship. It's the same with Sarah saying, of course she told Will. I mean, she's not going to keep secrets from him. Yeah. You know, I think that's reflective of my own relationship and the relationship I try to have with other people is just to put it out there and say, whatever you need, I'm here. Yeah, that's lovely. And um, the other moment that I really adored was, again, not giving anything away, but Sarah does something that Will's not thrilled about. And he just goes, I didn't really love that you did that. And they move yeah. on from it. Like, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could learn some lessons, I think. <laughs> yeah, me too. Forgiveness. Mm, what a concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, Obviously, it's an incredibly exciting time and development in Will's story. And you've written standalones as well as alongside, you know, a couple of series now. How does the process of writing a standalone differ from a series as long running as your Will Trent one, where you've got established characters? Is it a nice change of pace or is it a little bit daunting? It's different. And there's there's pluses and minuses with each one. You know, when I write about Will and Sarah, I'm very mindful that People have read the books before, and I've got to find some new way to talk about them that doesn't talk down to longtime readers, but also gives an introduction of the characters to people who might be picking this up for the first time. So the the books, in essence, have to stand alone, even though they're part of a series. And, And, you know, with After That Night in particular, I think I found a new side of Sarah though I've been writing for her for many years, Mm -hmm. that readers may not have really seen before. 
And it's con- completely consistent with her personality and her character that we've read about, but it's just a little nuance. Uh, and that was a joy to write. That being said, when I do standalone, there's a lot of world building, a lot of getting to know the characters, a lot of, you know, how am I going to pull this off kind of as excitement. So each one has its different pros and cons. And I, I, I can't even say which one I like more because it's really it's it's such a challenge to sit down and write a novel anyway, and I'm going to spend a, at least a year of my life with it. So I have to be as excited about it as my readers are when they find the final uh, copy. We've asked authors in the past if they've had books where they've sort of started writing, they've abandoned them basically, um, decided it's just not working. Have you ever had that with one of your Will Trent books? Because that must be quite hard. You know, I haven't. But the reason is my process is different from many authors will just sit down and start writing and they'll write through the Mm. book, you know, figuring out as they go along. And I can't do that. I just do it all in my head. Yeah. And so when I sit down to write something, I, I write for two weeks straight at a time and then I'll take two weeks off and then do two weeks on and and back and forth. And I've found that I can't really just sit down and, you know, start tippity tapping. I have to be really clear. What am I going to accomplish in this? How, what are the beats of it? Where's the drive? Where's the suspense? You know, all those, that work is done in my head before I actually sit down. Wow. I mean, what, what a brain. I can't even remember yeah. what I had for dinner yesterday. <laughs> well, no, I can't remember that either. But, but books are like outside of that sort of amnesia that I have that won't let me remember where I put my keys. <laughs> so you're a big planner, but not necessarily on paper by the sounds of no, it. No. Yeah. And it's probably a really stupid way to do it because eventually I won't be able to hold it all in my head. But <laughs> It's worked for this long. Yeah. I would say it's working quite well for you at this point. Yes. Yeah, um, as my observation. And speaking of your process, uh, something we like to ask all the authors we have on is, what do you enjoy most about the writing process and least about it? Well, you know, I the thing is, writing is not pleasurable, I think. It's rewarding. It gives you, it, as a writer, it gives me purpose and it's interesting because I was talking to someone earlier and about, you know, two women were talking about makeup and she said, what kind of makeup do you wear every day? And I said, I only wear makeup when I work. And I thought, well, that's a weird way to put it. Cause you know, I think when I do promotion and, you know, as lovely as podcasts are and all that, that I think that's what I call, I have to go to work. Yeah. And when I write, I just say, I'm going to write because that's such an intimate part of me. Um, it would be like saying, I'm going to breathe. You just would not define it that way. And it is, it is really difficult sometimes. It's really, it can be physically taxing. I write in a really stupid way. I'll go for <laughs> 14, 15, 16 hours some days and I'll forget to eat and I'll stand up and my body will make all kinds of noises from, you know, being in a position, same position all day. But I love it. I I, I love the the misery of it. And (laughs) I, I say writing, you never choose to be a writer, writing chooses you. And I really believe that it it chose me and I love I love telling these stories, but it is an awful lot of work to do it. Mm. And what drew you to writing crime, thriller, that sort of genre in the first place? Did you ever dabble in anything else? Dabble, that's condescending. (laughs) No, 
I, I know what you're saying. Um, it was a bit of dabbling. I, as a young woman living in the American South, I thought I had to write the next great Southern novel. Mm. And so I had this sweeping story right after the Civil War into the 70s, you know, all this, these great big themes. And it was, I, I enjoyed doing that book on a technical level because there was a lot of flashbacks and that sort of stuff. But that was the first book I, I wrote where I thought this is good enough to get an agent. And I was right. I did get an agent, mm. but no one wanted to publish it. And they all said, we love your voice. We love the pacing of the story. We just don't like this story. And so my agent said, what do you want to do next? Which was a really big boost to my ego because agents don't make money unless you do. So the fact that she didn't want to drop me because this didn't work out, I took as a good sign. And so I said, I want to, I've always loved thrillers. I just, that's what I read. I really enjoy it. I don't know if I can pull it off. And she said, well, you know what, do it. If it's good, send it to me. If it's not, try something else. And I wrote Blindsided. Amazing. That worked out. I mean, it sounds like, wow, overnight success. But I mean, that took years. It took about 10 years of me actively writing for publication. You know, before that, I had just written for myself. Mm. Um, And to some degree, I do write for myself. But I'm very aware of the fact that eventually there will be readers. Yeah. So, you know, that's just not something I can shape from my head. But when I'm writing, for the most part, I'm just writing for myself as someone who loves thrillers. And, you know, people are often surprised by the twists and turns in my books. And that's just because I read so many thrillers and I think, oh, this person did it this way, so I can't do that. Or this is the, you know, what a genre fiction novel would normally have a butler come out, right? And confess. So I (laughs) can't do that. Yeah, the old butler did it. Yes. And speaking of reading, it sounds like you are a big reader. I, I don't know how you have the time to, honestly, with your schedule. Uh, what was the last book that you read and loved? Um. Well, you know, I, I there's a book called Fever in the Heartland. I've been reading a lot of nonfiction and it's about the basically the rise of the modern Ku Klux Klan in, wow. in, in the United States heartland in the 1920s. I mean, we're definitely seeing another resurgence here mm-hmm. in the 2020s uh, in the United States and everywhere, frankly. But it, it's it's about a particular court case that ended up bringing down this guy who was responsible for weaponizing the Klan. He was a, a grand wizard and he really pushed Klan membership in such a way that entire towns, the mayor, the police officers, the you know, all the politicians, all the community leaders were openly, proudly card-carrying Klan members. And of course, in the way of these people, he was a depraved, horrible individual. And he was sexually assaulting women constantly. And they, there were gang rapes and these really debauched parties he would throw. And, you know, meanwhile, he's paying local pastors thousands of dollars to preach to their congregations that they need the clan in their lives. And of course, the, the pastors are willingly taking money. But it was just a fascinating look at a lot of things that happened in the 20s happening now. And I, I feel like we're so much better able to respond to that in America, mainly because of our diversity. And, you know, we have such a, a vast array of different communities, different ethnicities, different languages, cultures, all this. And America has always, for better or worse, 
ended up being a melting pot. And I, I, so I think we're much better equipped to deal with this kind of thing now than we were in the 1920s. Hopefully we'll see. We may, yeah. There might be like uh, the city's bursting into flames when I get back, but that's how I feel now. Yeah. Let's <laughs> yeah. hope not. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. That sounds like a fascinating book. It doesn't sound like a light read necessarily, but an important no, one. No, well, I should say I liked uh, Donna O'Porter's Cat Lady. Okay. <laughs> Cecilia Hearn is amazing. I saw her in Dublin. She's such a sweet girl. Um, I shouldn't say girl. She's a woman. She's got like 40 children. <laughs> but uh, there's a book uh, in a thousand different ways. But I, I just love her storytelling. She's got such a sweet voice. And uh, she also wrote something called Roar, uh, which is a short story collection that was amazing. So, I mean, we're really living in a wonderful time for all kinds of writers, but uh, particularly for me, I'm really happy we have a lot of great crime novelists like Lisa Gardner, um, Mo Hader, we unfortunately lost much too recently. There's Val McDermott, there's Denise Minot. I mean, there's just a lot of people doing amazing things. Yeah. It's interesting because I'd, I've always been a big reader, but I'd say 10 years or so ago, not many of the people around me were necessarily. And I don't know if that was an age thing or if it was just the time. Bad company, Sarah. Well, yeah, probably is. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> hanging out with the wrong sorts. Exactly. I, I need to fix that. Well, I have fixed that because we were talking about um, reading in the office the other day. And I was recommending Bad Fruit by Ella King. I said that I'd read that. Read. We spoke to Ella, we interviewed her. I was saying, really, really loved it. And I think... On mass, there was about six other women sitting around me and they all pulled out either their Kindles or their phones and wrote down the name of it. It's like, well, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think as well, it's more now more than ever, I feel like crime has evolved into uh, a very accessible genre. It's, I think for a long time, there's that perception of the crime genre that it's for men and it's hard and it's aggressive Pretty. and it's good. Yeah. And yeah, that gritty kind of misogynistic sort of interpretation of the crime genre, which is, you know, not debatable in a lot of ways. And arguably, there's always been strong female characters in crime fiction. But I think now, as you say, we're in a bit of a golden age of championing women in crime, not only the, the authors, but in characters as well, which leads us nicely into the next question, if I do say so myself, Verani. <laughs> if you had to pick a character from one of your books to be, who would you pick? Oh, absolutely. I'd pick Sarah because when I was younger, I, I briefly thought it would be really nice to be a doctor because mm. I'm fascinated by medicine. Yeah. Uh, then I realized that you have to know how to do math. And <laughs> so but, math. Oh, maybe, maybe writer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I would, I would love to, to have her knowledge and her skill because I just think it's amazing to be able to do something like that. And she has the best of both worlds because doctor, but she does a lot of stuff with dead people. So she doesn't actually yes. have to talk to people. The best of both. The dream. <laughs> <laughs> Doing stuff with dead people. Out of context, that could sound really bad. But yes, that, that's, interesting. that's an interesting point. So writing about Sarah, who is obviously a very scientific mind, you know, obviously a, a human as well, but how do you go about researching the medical side of things, which is a, a fascinating world, but very complicated and hard to communicate, I imagine, to a layman as well? It is. And, you know, I have friends who are medical doctors like Tess Garretson. And, you know, I think from talking to her, I know that it's initially it was kind of a struggle because she knows what you're supposed to do as a doctor. And lawyers have this issue, too. Mm. It's like it's not riveting. 
You know, if if you're a lawyer writing a a story, you know, it would go to trial in four years and Mm -hmm. it would probably be, there would be a plea deal and none of this, uh, you know, standing up and confessing on the stand or anything like that. Um, But with with Sarah in particular, from my second novel, I, I had a friend who was a doctor who's always advised me. And his name is David Harper. He lives in Texas. He's retired now, which I I weighed in and said, okay, well, now you're going to have to be my full-time medical advisor for free. (laughs) But he he taught in medical school. He was on life flights. He has done all kinds of amazing things. His wife is a pediatrician. His brother works on a body farm. So... I mean, he, if, if you said, Hey, who's the perfect person to have in your life, it would be him because if he doesn't know an answer, he's got very good resources, but you know, and I'm sure people listening to this are, are writers or want to be writers. And they'll understand this, that it's very easy to find the world expert in something. It's very difficult to find the world expert who can explain things in a, in a digestible way. Because I have had medical examiners or whoever who have offered to help. And I've said, okay, well, what about this scenario? And they're like, that would never happen. It's like, okay, well, <sighs> it's a thriller and it's fiction. So if it did happen, no, 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 that would never happen. Mm-hmm. Or the patient would be dead. I'm like, okay, well, I don't, uh, that's okay, but I need him to live the, uh, long enough to confess. No, that would never happen. You know, and David's like, okay, well, you know, that's not likely, but if it did happen, this is how you would do it. And that's, it's great. It's a wonderful little gift he has to be able to do that. And you're right. I have to condense it all down into layman's terms because he'll send me reams of information with diagrams and photographs and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you can look at the most horrendous porn online very easily, but if you try to find, I've heard, if you try to (laughs) No judgment on this podcast, Karen, you do you. (laughs) If you try to find like videos of operations, you have to look, click through 80 different things. And so, you know, he, he hooked me up with uh, how to get into those and see, this is what the spleen looks like. This is what the liver, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it, it's been wonderful to have him as that. And the stuff that Sarah does particularly and after that night, I mean, I love when she rolls up her sleeves and just sticks her hand in a body. Yes. And she definitely gets time to do that. But that took weeks of correspondences with David and me asking really stupid, I'm sure, questions and saying, okay, well, what, you know, what are the steps and what, what would this feel like? How would it, you know, would, would there be an odor in the air? Would there, and so I kind of have to interview him uh, about the different, because, you know, as a doctor, you're very mentally X, Y, Z, and you're only later do you process the emotional part of it. And so I, I have to do both of that, those things at the same time. And he's an incredible resource. Wow. You have interesting friends. Yeah. yeah. You have some very interesting <laughs> I'm very friends. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the least interesting person in my friend group. <laughs> well, I mean, if that's true, then wow, you are hanging out with next level humans because you're pretty interesting. Oh, I would say. You. And also, as you, you you rightly kind of said, we do have a lot of authors and things and you write and aspiring writers that listen to the podcast. And I'm, I'm sure you've been asked this question a hundred times, but I'm curious, what piece of advice would you give to someone trying to make it as a crime writer? My main advice is sit down and write. And it, it's the hardest thing to do. And when I was in college and I hated writing, which is one of the reasons I dropped out, I thought I'm never going to write again if I have to 
do the, all these papers. I would set the ti- timer uh, on the microwave or the kitchen uh, stove, and I would set it for 30 minutes and tell myself, just sit down and start writing. And after 30 minutes, if you don't want to write anymore, you can stop. And I never stopped. I always wanted to keep going. So it was just this sort of mental trick I played on myself because that's the hard part about being a writer. Everybody has a, one great idea for a book or a story, but that that's quite easy. It's sitting down and figuring out how to express it through character, how to keep people interested in turning the page, figuring out the points of suspense and release and all of that. That's the work of being a writer. Yeah. And to do all of that in a way that's entertaining. Also, one thing about your books, obviously this book um, after that night is, as we said, incredibly dark and there's a lot of subject matter, but it's still, the characters are funny. Like the way they engage and they live, they're very real people because we've had authors in the past, I think it was Nikki French that said, sometimes you get uh, characters that know that, almost know that they're in a crime thriller book and everything is serious and uh, they're kind of, but this, the characters like Sarah and Will and Faith, like they're real people with senses of humor and finding humor in darkness and things like that. I think you capture that so well, that, that real humanity within your characters. Thank you. Well, you know, Faith is a really good release for me because she's always going to be complaining or (laughs) rumbling about something. And, you know, that she has this great moment with Will where he's like, what am I supposed to say? And she's like, don't say anything. Just let me keep talking. And uh, (laughs) which is his favorite way to interact with anyone anyway. (laughs) But, you know, with with Faith, she also is the one I have to do the most research on, believe it or not, because she has a kid and I don't have any children that I know of. (laughs) And, you know, so I'm constantly looking for details about motherhood and it sounds awful just hearing about it. It just Mm. sounds like the worst. Look, this is Al Qaeda level stuff, right? (laughs) We both agree here. A hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, so I read a lot of mommy blogs too. And it's like, wow, they hate children too. <laughs> so uh, she, she is a lot of fun, but she's also my, my little way to get some jokes in about motherhood that I think a lot of women can relate to. Yeah, definitely. Very much so. <laughs> Frankie, is, is it, it time? time? Okay. So Karen, this is, uh, this is the part of the podcast where I'm afraid I have to break some terrible news to you. I'm so okay. sorry to have to do this. Unfortunately, Karen, you have committed a terrible crime. So terrible, so heinous, in fact, that you've actually been sentenced to the death penalty. Yikes. How did you know about it? I'm so sorry. Yeah, it all came out. Well, first, that's my first question. And this is a very insightful question we found with the past authors. (laughs) What crime do you think you've committed to warrant this response? Um, well, I'm going to be a real asshole and say, you can't just do one crime to get the death penalty. You have to commit another crime too. So I would imagine it'd be something really insanely stupid. Like I (laughs) broke into a library to get a first edition book. And as I was leaving, I accidentally bumped into a patron and she fell down the stairs and died. Right. So that's like theft and murder. Boom. That's it. Extenuating mm-hmm. circumstances. Capital offense. Perfect. You know what you're talking about. And what first edition were you trying to steal? Well, you know, I would think um, something like uh, Weathering Heights, because it's one of my favorite stories, because I'm, I'm also thinking about, well, there has to be a certain 
monetary value to it to push it from a misdemeanor to a felony. Like if I stole one of my books, they'd probably be like, well, one, that's stupid. You have all of them. <laughs> but uh, the value of it wouldn't be high enough to it would warrant a felony. Wow. Yeah. You really know your stuff. You clearly you've written some crime yeah. books. Yeah. <laughs> so pedantic and horrible at parties. <laughs> Very interesting, actually. And you're the most qualified, that's the most qualified answer I think we've had to that question yet. So thank yeah. you. And okay, so you have, you've got, you've tried to steal a copy of Wuthering Heights first edition and accidentally killed someone. Whoops, a daisy. Well, but yeah, it wasn't an accident. Let's be honest. I mean, that's my story. Okay. And I'll yeah. take it to my grave, but yeah. She was asking for it. Okay. Well, I mean, if they're stopping you from a first edition, I think, yeah, absolutely. Not to victim blame, but get out of the way. lady. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, okay. Unfortunately, though, you have been caught and you have been sentenced. Very, very unfortunate. But it's not all bad, Karen, because the good news is we're going to make you the death row meal of your dreams. Oh, Great. Yeah, we can make you anything you want. And it doesn't have to be Sarah and I cooking it. It could be anyone cooking it. Um, and it can be a meal you've had in the past that you've loved or something that, yeah, the best meal you've ever had or just a memory of a meal. What would you like your death row meal to be? Well, am I going to die shortly after so I won't suffer any consequences? Yes. Yeah. yeah we'll right. let that okay. be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm already negotiating. <laughs> <laughs> you've got a good lawyer with you, I think. Yeah, we've got that yes. for you. So, gosh, it's hard to choose but obviously it's fried, like either fried chicken, my grandmother's fried chicken, Ooh. or chicken fried steak, Ooh, nice. which is great, has gravy all over it, but definitely that mashed potatoes, collard greens, fried okra, oh. a sweet iced tea, yeah. which like my grandmother made, you would drink it and you would go, oh, what's that crunching it between my teeth, the sugar? Yum. <laughs> I know. So many cavities. So worth it. <laughs> and for dessert, I mean, that's hard, but probably red velvet cake. Oh, solid. You know, corn, cornbread and biscuits. And I don't mean your silly British biscuits. I'm <laughs> no. like big, fluffy biscuits. Good biscuits. Wow. That is amazing. That is a really strong menu. And clearly you have, that is a Southern menu, right? That is the exactly, antithesis. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, honestly, they could just let the meal kill me. <laughs> she died from multiple cavities and a blocked artery and worth it 100 percent. what a way to go though yes it's a great answer well we've got further good news for you it's not good news she's dead you are dead but good news <laughs> is we will bury you with any book of your choice what book would you like to be buried with wow that's that's really hard i mean Wuthering Heights might be a really strong contender. That might be in the evidence locker at this point, though. It might not be able to get that out. (laughs) Well, it's been adjudicated. They should release the evidence. You know. Okay, you're right. Yes, yes. (laughs) Well, I mean, the library would get it. It's their property. It's not like they give it to you. True. So I'm going to make a a slightly controversial choice. And I'm also going to specify I want to be buried in Oakland Cemetery which is in Atlanta. And it's a very historic cemetery. It's one of the only ones where Union and Confederate soldiers from either side of the Civil War are buried. It was made a national monument after some anti-Semites destroyed the Jewish section. And so that resonates with me. And a lot of famous Georgians are buried there, including Margaret Mitchell, who wrote Gone with the Wind. Wow. And Gone with the Wind is a book that I read repeatedly as a child. And it's a, it's a terrific book if you forget that slavery is really bad. 
Yeah. And, you know, that's a big if. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you, when I read it as a child, obviously I read it differently than I did as an adult when I was like, hey, these people were enslaved. Maybe that's not great. But it is a book that basically championed what's called the lost cause. And the lost cause is what we're seeing a resurgence of now bizarrely with World War II saying Hitler wasn't that bad or, you know, that that just this blindness to actual history. And I think it stands as a cautionary tale of why we shouldn't sugarcoat history and why it's so important to be told the truth about things. And that goes back to what we originally started talking about with Sarah and Will and their mm-hmm. honesty in the relationship. And, you know, I think a, a big reason why There's a big movement, not just in the United States, it's in Ireland, it's here where people are trying to ban books, particularly books that are historically accurate, is it makes them very uncomfortable to have to admit that they're part of a system that did really horrible things and they've benefited from it. I've been discriminated repeatedly against repeatedly as a woman. I've never been discriminated against for the color of my skin. Mm. And so I would choose that book just as a reminder for whoever digs me up to have sex with me (laughs) (laughs) that this is, you know, this is a cautionary tale. It's a beautiful story. It's romance. It's this sweeping saga, but it's also wrong. And it damaged so many people and it created a permission structure for so many people to claim that they're not filled with hate because it's it's a good story. So mm-hmm. that that's why I would choose that. Wow. Ed Gein will really enjoy reading that, I'm sure, when he digs you up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Once he gets, digs me up, I, I think I'd make a beautiful table lamp. <laughs> <laughs> really would. That is a, a, a really great answer. And we'll put, we'll put Wuthering Heights in as well as a little relief as well, just for you. Both. Just at the yeah. feet, maybe. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. To prop you in. Make sure you're yes. nice and fitted. Wow, Karen, what an absolute pleasure it's been to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. We know how incredibly busy you are. And yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you. So for everyone listening, After That Night is out now in the UK. Right now. We very much recommend it. So go out and buy it. And also go and listen, go and watch Will Trent on Disney Plus because as I say, I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm really loving it. What amazing casting you have on that show. Oh, they're fantastic. And, you know, people are a little upset because Ramon Rodriguez doesn't look like Will in the books. But I I assure you, he's a very sweet and very sexy guy. And I think he does an excellent job, particularly when he's with Betty, his little dog, and also when he takes his shirt off. Yes, yes. Very (laughs) grateful for that. Thank you very much. (laughs) Great. Well, and obviously... People can find you on the internet everywhere because you are very searchable, I would say, at this point. Yes. So go and follow Karen everywhere. Go and buy the book. And yeah, read all, if you haven't already, where the hell have you been? Read all of Karen's back catalogue because it's incredibly consistently strong and amazing. So great. Sarah, speaking of less strong and amazing, where can people find us on social media? <laughs> <laughs> you can find us at Red and Berry Podcast on all the social medias. Not all of them. Some of them. Most yeah. of them. Or you can email us at redandburiedpodcast at gmail.com. Amazing. Well, thanks again, Karen. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank and, you. Uh, looking forward to seeing your next book. We didn't ask you about that, but I'm, I'm sure there's one down the, coming down the pike, right? Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Do you like music? 
and do you like podcasts? Chances are you like music podcasts. Take this one for example, Pick a Disc. I'm Matt Latham and every fortnight a guest comes on to Pick a Disc to talk about an album for any reason that they want to. They'll talk about the, the album as a whole, we talk about songs, we talk about any personal stories about the album and any, if they've ever seen the band live and all, all sorts of other crazy tangents. And if any point any of that made you want to listen to Pick a Disc, then you can find us on your podcast apps of choice or on the Facebooks and Twitters and Instagram under Pick a Disc. We're also on the We Made This Podcast Network on WeMadeThisNetwork.com and on Twitter at We underscore Made This. Goodbye.